we're all advocates. We're the backbone. We're the backbone of the nation. Show the rest of the world who aren't farmers what it is. What's it, what's it like on a farm? You know, what we do every day. We're feeding the world. It creates a healthy community. So, you know, eat local, buy local, support your local farmers. Welcome back to another episode of The Advocates. In today's episode, Daniel and Wade are joined by Tyson and Callie from Ag Aviation Adventures. Tyson and Callie spend their summers in East Grand Forks, Minnesota with their air tractor. Their off-seasons take them from the mountains of Colorado to the deserts of Baja, California. Tyson, Callie, how are things in uh, East Grand Forks, Minnesota tonight? Um, they, you know, it, it kind of turned chilly here. It's pretty windy and kind of cold right now, it looks like, for the next couple days. Dan, is it is it cold in the panhandle of Texas? Oh, yes, sir. You would not believe it. I almost had to put on a long-sleeve shirt here in the 95-degree <laughs> weather. It's awful. <laughs> Could not complain one bit, though. Guys, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I've followed y'all's Instagram for quite a while. We'll get on that uh, here shortly. But first off, uh, why don't y'all tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, Cal and I move up here to East Grand Forks, Minnesota. We're right on the border of North Dakota and Minnesota. It's only about 80 miles south of the Canadian border. So we're pretty far north up here, and we move up here for about four months. And uh, the rest of the year we spend out in Colorado. So we just actually got up here and we're getting ready for our spray season up here. Right on. I love it. So y'all, uh, y'all, y'all spray with a ground rig or an airplane? Nope. So we are aerial. So everything that we do, we do with uh, an airplane in the air. Right on. So tell us a little bit about the airplane and, and the business that you have there. Yeah, so the airplane is called an air tractor, and they're actually made in only Texas. And it's a 500-gallon airplane, so it has a 500-gallon hopper on it. I'm able to carry 500 gallons of product when I go out. Um, and so that's kind of has a turbine engine on it. That kind of surprises people sometimes. It's not a reciprocating engine or anything like that. It, it does have a turbine on it that requires jet fuel, and then that drives a propeller. So it does have a prop on the front. It's considered a turbo prop, and so um, it's uh, you know it's yeah it, it goes pretty fast, hauls a good load. It's a nice little airplane. Right and on. We, That's cool. Yeah, we actually work for a company out here, so we're not the owner operator of the business. We work for a company. But they have a few different satellite strips, and we just manage and run one of their locations for them. Okay, so so y'all are y'all are sitting here in an agricultural based area, and you're you're told to go spray Joe Johnson's uh, 300 acre soybean patch, basically, and you go do that. Is that what y'all are basically doing? Yeah. So. Y'all, uh, y'all are in agriculture as a whole right now. Did y'all grow up in an ag background? No, uh, neither of us did actually. Um, I went to college for aviation, but I knew that I didn't want to go into the airlines. And I was looking at options, and I actually 
what kind of got me into this line of work is that I was working at the local airport in Utah where I went to school and uh, what it's considered a seat aircraft. It's a single engine air tanker and they're, they're used for firefighting. And this guy flew one into the airport. He was on his way to fight a fire and uh, I had never seen one before. And I talked to him and wanted to know how I could get into something like that. And he said, well, really the only way that you can get experience flying this type of aircraft is by going into crop dusting. That's where these are used. And then you can kind of take that experience and move into fires with it. So that's when I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get into crop dusting. And I, I didn't know anything about it. Wasn't familiar with it. Um, hadn't really seen it at all, but I kind of made up my mind that that's what I wanted to do. And then I got into it and I really haven't looked back too much um, into the fire side of things. I've just really enjoyed this lifestyle and the schedule that this brings. And so I've never, I've never really gotten out of it and really enjoy it. And luckily met Callie kind of early on and she's gotten into it, managing the location here and doing everything on the ground for me. And so it's really worked out for the two of us, but neither of us had any kind of an agriculture background prior to that. Tyson, for those that aren't familiar with, with chemical application or anything like that, why don't, walk us through the, and it may be different since you're doing aerial, walk us through the steps required for you to, to, to have the appropriate license and certifications to be able to apply, uh, apply chemical through the air. Yeah, so um, you're, there's a couple different things that you need. You need to kind of have um, the side of the, as far as the flying goes, you need those licenses. And then you also need the licenses for applying chemicals as well. And those are given by each state. So if you want to do it by air, you're going to need to have your private pilot's license. And then you also need your commercial pilot's license. So those are the two licenses that you would need in order to fly the aircraft and get paid for it and work for a company. And then to do it in each state, you're going to need to take different tests. Um, they're just, uh, multiple choice tests, uh, you know, on a computer type thing that are based on a computer. And that's going to get you the knowledge, uh, of what each state wants you to know about applying pesticide and rules and regulations, uh, that govern that state. So with each state that I go to, I either test in that state or sometimes I can reciprocate with a state that I already have a license in. Um, in fact, today I just took a Minnesota test. I had to take an aerial application test because mine expired here. And so I did that earlier today. Gotcha. Okay. So walk us through like a normal day, uh, I guess, starting the plane, getting fueled up, flying over to the field, spraying, and then coming back and doing what you might have to do uh, post-flight. Yeah. Yeah. So Callie's day is probably a little bit more involved than mine. Once I'm in the airplane, it's, she makes it pretty easy for me. But um, if we're, you know, on a run where we're, it's very much time sensitive, everything needs to get done in a timely matter. We only have days that the product can be applied to the plant because of the life cycle or the stage that the plant is in. Uh, days like that, you're going to be pushing the airplane out of the hangar before the sun comes up, which... Where we're at here in Minnesota, it's 10 till 5, and the airplane's being pushed out of the hangar. 
And by about 5, 10 a.m., I'm in the hang or in the airplane on the ground. It's getting fueled and Callie is loading it for my first field of the morning. And I'll take off. And usually up here, the fields are not too terribly far. They're usually maybe 10 or 15 miles away. And uh, I'll take off and that will take me just a couple minutes to get to. And I'll spray out my load, which usually takes about 20 minutes. And I'll be back and land. Usually after I take off, it's maybe about 25 minutes to come back again. Callie has the next load already ready for me. And so I land and pull on to the load pad. She hooks up the fuel and starts fueling me and then puts the chemical into the airplane as well. And it takes about three and a half minutes for the pump to get everything into the airplane. She washes my window during that time, disconnects the hoses, gives me the next map for the next field, and then I'm off to the next field. And that literally goes on like that all day until on the longest days, and about 9.30, quarter to 10 at night um, is the last time I land to put the airplane away for the evening. Wow. Uh, Cal Callie, why don't you tell us your side. It doesn't sound near as fun getting into be in an airplane, but I bet it's still pretty interesting. Yeah. On busy days like that, the time sure does go by quickly. And throughout the day, we may have farmers walking into our office here, booking additional fields. Uh, so there's that aspect as well, where I'm talking with farmers and getting chemical deliveries and making sure I have enough chemical to get us through the day. And, um, yeah, on those busy days, the phone's ringing a lot, and then I'm interrupting people to go out and make sure that I'm ready to load Tyson when he lands, because that's, that's the most important thing, that he's not just sitting on the ground wasting time. Um, but, yeah, just getting those loads ready and making sure I'm always ahead of the airplane is kind of my main goal throughout the day, and being as efficient as possible um, with both loading and where I'm sending him to spray. So how do you control uh, which chemical goes where on each farm? Because I bet y'all are spraying plenty of acres per day and say one guy yeah. wants one certain type of chemical and another chemical. How do, you, uh, how do you categorize that and control it so you don't have any mess ups? Yeah, so it's actually pretty simple. Um, let's say we have Farmer Joe and Farmer Bob and they want two different mixes. It'll usually be a good amount of work, maybe 400 acres for one and 300 acres for the other. So at that point, we just keep those separate and we'll divide the loads accordingly throughout those chemicals, if that makes sense. Um, and also we could spray insecticide or fungicide in the morning and then have to switch over to herbicide for the afternoon. And so, for that, we're going to be cleaning out the airplane after we spray uh, the herbicide, which could, you know, affect other crops. So there's that aspect as well. But for the most part, to keep it simple, if if one farmer has one chemical and another has another, we're splitting it up and just keeping it separate. So do you still have to clean out the plane uh, tanks uh, for for each different farm? And if you do, what kind of solutions do you use, if I might ask that? Yeah. No, so we don't uh for if it's gonna if it's an insecticide or a fungicide, the airplane doesn't need to be cleaned out. 
but if it's mm-hmm. a herbicide and so we're to go and say spray uh you know a wheat herbicide um and then go over to sugar beets and spray fungicide we're going to clean out the airplane from that herbicide because that would kill the sugar beets and so at right. those points we're cleaning the airplane out but if we're just spraying insecticide or fungicide um, moving from one farmer to the next or sometimes uh, one guy doesn't want an insecticide in his and the next guy wants an insecticide with the fungicide as well uh, we don't need to clean out the airplane or anything with those specific applications just really when we're working with herbicide gotcha i, I love it i'm learning a lot uh we used to have guys spray our fields from the aerial aspect of it then we we uh got a ground rig which is way less fun and cool to watch but uh, <laughs> oh well <laughs> so you guys are an airplane back out there well i mean there's an airport here but i don't really think i can afford purchasing one of those things or going through the work <laughs> to get a get a all the certification uh we're gonna back <laughs> up so say we've got a, a young 15 year old kid here listening and and or whoever really he or she wants to join into being a spray uh pilot running an air tractor uh or something of that sort or even fighting fires what let's go through the steps of actually getting there can you go can you walk us through that yeah so the you know this is a question that i get asked quite a bit and the advice that i usually give is before you go and get licensed or anything like that, I would recommend working for an operator on the ground for a season. So going there, loading airplanes, washing airplanes, being there, and doing whatever you need to do to be part of the team. Uh, The big thing with this work is that, and I've seen it happen before with pilots that have wanted to get into the industry and they spend two or three years doing it only to find out that they don't actually like it. Uh, the problem with it is that you don't really have a set schedule. And so you're, you're here and you're here all summer. I mean, Callie and I basically cancel everything. We don't have any summer plans and we dedicate ourselves to doing this for the entire summer. And so that gets to a lot of people. So I always recommend that you first load because you're going to get that experience of what it's like working every day and really not having a lot of time to make plans for friends or family. Um, if you do that and you, you think it is something you want to do, then the steps would be to start with the flying and get your private pilot's license as well as your commercial. And that can happen at most local airports, uh, you know, maybe not the smallest ones in the, in the small towns, but usually within a 45-minute drive of even the small towns, you can find an airport that would have an instructor that could get you your licenses. So you would get those licenses. And from there, hopefully you've made some contact because before getting these licenses, you were working on the ground. And so hopefully you have some people that you work for and you can talk to them about getting into an airplane because the big thing is that these airplanes are, they're expensive and they're very complicated to run. And so, you, you know, people aren't going to take someone that's never done this and just put them in the airplane and say, you know, best of luck to you. Here's, here's what you need. Here's the map. Go for it. So 
really you need to establish relationships with people and that's going to happen on the ground and working for them so they can kind of see your work ethic and stuff but they also are going to need the airplane that you would be flying you're not going to just hop in uh usually you know a turbine powered aircraft you're not they're not just going to put you in that they're going to put you in something that's a lot smaller and a lot slower and has a little bit of a better learning curve to it that's a little more friendly to fly so you you kind of want to find that person that has an airplane like that so that you know there's an opportunity there in the future that maybe you could fly that airplane um But, uh, you know, once you get established in the business and you have one or two seasons under your belt, it's pretty easy to find work at that point. Um, The the whole kind the whole seems like the whole country kind of opens up to you. You can go wherever you want. Um, There always seems to be people looking for pilots or I should say good pilots, because that's another thing. Uh, You kind of run a lot of uh, you run across a lot of different people in this industry and. Um, the days start to wear on you and not everyone wants to be in the airplane from sun up to sundown. So if you are someone that can sit in that airplane and get the work done, then a lot of people would, would definitely like to have you come and fly for them, it seems like. Um, but yeah, after you get a couple seasons under your belt, you can kind of go wherever you'd like. And, and, you know, if you just want a short season, you can go north and try to find an operator far north that doesn't have a long season. Or you can go to a place like Texas that they spray almost year round or California where they do spray year round. And so, yeah, it's, you know, you, you really do have quite a, quite a plethora of options at that point. How you, you talk about how you get into the, the aerial application field. Um, how, how does somebody actually learn to be a spray pilot though? Cause I, I would think that it's, it's polar opposite of being like a commercial airplane pilot i mean those those guys have been that are flying for american airlines aren't flying under power lines or or doing some crazy <laughs> crazy turns and stuff um to to stop right at the end of the field and turn around how does how does one develop that experience yeah so there are a handful of schools around the u.s i believe there's also one up in canada and so you can go to these programs where they teach you different things about um, the light bar. So the airplane, when I am flying a field, I'm actually following, it's called a light bar and it's mounted on the nose of the aircraft and it's a GPS basically. So I am going into the field and I'm flying a GPS and I can see from the light bar from how these lights are moving. I can see if I'm on the, my swath or not. If I moved a foot off of my swath, I can see that on this light bar. And so you can go to these schools and they teach you how to run that light bar, what to look for as far as obstacles and power lines and that kind of stuff in a field and how to approach different fields. It's, it's kind of a loose type thing. You know, there's nothing that can really prepare you to just get in that airplane and start working. But uh, there are schools out there that try to help prepare you. And I went to one and it was a, I had a great experience and I learned a lot. Um, I don't necessarily know that everyone needs to go to a school like that. If you can find an operator who's willing to take you under your under their wing and give you guidance and help you through your first couple seasons, I think that that's a, a great option. If they have an airplane, just a general aviation aircraft that they can take you up in and they can explain what they are going through with every, you know, with different fields that they do, again, what they're looking for and how they would approach spraying. That's kind of what these schools do. 
And so I don't necessarily think that someone has to go to a school. However, I didn't have that operator um, before I found my first job. And so I went to a school hoping to get that education and get a little bit of experience. It was a short program, it was three weeks that I spent in it. Um, and so luckily I was able to find someone after that. But I think those are the two ways someone could go about it is trying to find an operator who will teach them, you know, teach you the ropes or go to a school that will teach you the ropes as well. Well, I've always wondered how you guys are able to figure out what you've covered and what you've not. I've always heard stories of old timers having uh, their kids hold a flag uh, at the end of the row. And then whenever yeah. the spray plane flies over dumping chemical on their kids and whatnot else, they move over 20 steps or whatever. And you'd think that somebody would have caught on that that's probably not too great for anyone's health, but Hey, whatever gets the job done, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. 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 That's uh Everything nowadays is, is, I mean, you know, it's just technology progressing. So it's pretty crazy all the stuff that they've come up with. Um, the airplane does still does not fly itself. We still are out there flying the airplane hands-on, but we are looking at a GPS, and that's kind of how we're lining up on each swath to fly. Um, yeah, so it, as far as technology goes, there's there's quite a bit of technology that goes into the airplane and the spray system and all that stuff. I feel like that's kind of a common misconception of uh, spraying. Like, a lot of people don't understand how much technology goes into it. Um, so it's kind of interesting to talk about that. We have a couple of videos on the technology aspect, but it's interesting to see people's reactions when you talk about that. So along with showing people how it works, I mean, uh, I mentioned social media in the beginning. I uh, I enjoy every single post that y'all put on there about spray planes. I mean, I, I found it absolutely fascinating uh, being able to see those ag tractors. I mean, if you really want to think about it in that way, uh, working to help service farmers. And uh, tell us a little bit about your social media and how you portray uh, the, the sprayers and the, your, and your own personal story along with that. Yeah. So we've had our, um, our Instagram adventure rig. That's what we do in the off season. We've had that for quite a while and I've always shared snippets of what we do in the summer there, but a lot of people just, I'm sure you guys deal with this too. A lot of people are either disconnected from agriculture or, or don't understand it. And so last year, Tyson's kind of had this idea in his head for a while, but last year we decided to go full in and make videos kind of mostly just educating people on what we do and a little bit of agriculture in general. But uh, even our families, they still, some of them were like, we really don't know what you guys do. So we put together these videos and I think the the cool part for us is just, being that line of communication because we get frustrated in the past like oh people just don't understand this about agriculture but if we're not part of the conversation we can't really complain about it so that was something that was really cool for us to start doing just the ag aviation side of things it's been awesome for us to get this industry out in social media a little bit hey you're being advocates uh, ding, 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 <laughs> name of the show. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so I've seen some videos of, uh, of you, Tyson, flying 
uh, I guess with a GoPro and it just shows, uh, I mean, wherever you're looking, it seems like it shows if I'm remembering the show or the video, right? What's the, what's the closest you've ever come to hitting something? <laughs> well, I've hit stuff, so I guess that's pretty close. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay, tell us about that then. Yeah, uh, there, there, there was a there was a season where I I had a branch come out from a tree row and get my wingtip. Um, it wasn't too big of a deal. It 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 you know it it just it kissed the wingtip a little bit. But other than that, um, you know I I try definitely to find everything in the field before I enter the field. Uh, you're mm-hmm. there are times. I mean you know, when you are doing it every day and you're traveling around, uh, I'll spray here in Minnesota and Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota. And so when you're going to all these new areas, it's hard to always know exactly what to look for. You get comfortable. I get really comfortable up here where I spray a lot in Minnesota and the ground's flat and there aren't a lot of obstacles. And then I go to a place like Iowa and it's hilly and there's a ton of trees down there and wires and poles can hide in the trees and they can go into the field. And there's no visible, visible poles that you can see in the field because they're in the trees, but the wire may cut through a corner or something. And so that's, that's gotten me a couple times where it's definitely scared me. I've never hit anything, knock on wood, but, uh, you know, like I said, you kind of do it for so long. Um, you probably are going to have some moments that wake you up a little bit and grab your attention. But the goal is to circle the field prior to going into it and, and find all the obstacles that could be in there. Okay, so you you uh, you fly around the field or whatever for one or two uh, loops or whatever. You try to find what's the issue. Uh, what what might jump out at you, so to speak, and uh, then then you know your obstacles, and then you spray the field, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm looking at the edge of the field as I just circle around it. Uh, I'm I'm looking for power lines that may be running along the edge of the field. I'm also looking then into into the field and looking for if there's a shed or a house or a pump from an oil well. I mean, it can be anything. Um, there's pivots that have uh, that are run by different means. And so I'm always looking at why there may be power running into a field, because that's really my biggest concern are power lines and power poles. And so I'm circling that field to see if for any reason there would just be randomly a power line going into the field to something um and so yeah that's that's kind of what's always on my mind is where you know what is that that's in that field because i can't always tell what it is um but trying to figure out maybe what that is and then could there possibly be power running to that because there may be a wire coming off of a pole and it could go right to whatever's in the field without even having another pull to it. I, I've seen that before. Um, so, yeah, I'm just kind of always looking for the power lines. <laughs> That's always on my mind. Are you one of those guys that flies under a power line or over a power line? <laughs> well, it... we have power lines at the end of our strip that he 
if he's taking off to the south, they're high tension power lines. If he's taking off to the south, he goes under them every time. I prefer not to watch. I just try <laughs> to turn around and make sure I I'm inside by then. So yeah, if I mean if it's uh, if it's high tension power lines like cross country lines, um, then I'm definitely going to go under those. If it's your typical power lines that are running along a road and they're just a single pole type thing. And there's, you know, two or three lines on the pole. I'm not going to fit under those ones, but the, the cross country lines or those high tension lines, I'll go under those. Um, it's for me, I have a hard time in Iowa where it's hilly. I end up going over them a lot of times because if you're trying to go underneath them and you're getting to the top of a hill, you're not going to fit, even though it looks like you can fit. And the problem is that they're really difficult to see the, the power lines themselves. And so I find that I'd rather go underneath them than try to go over them because I, I just can't see the power lines that well coming into the field or going out of it. And so, um, yeah, if I can go under them, then I'd much rather try to squeeze under. Why is that? Just because the easiness of being able to start spraying right where the field is or where the border is, or is it just fun? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it's, it's really because I just, when I, when I'm coming back into the field and I've got, you know, whatever the crop is behind the power line, it's difficult to see the power line. And so I'm always nervous of hitting a tire or catching my gear on the power lines just going into the field mm-hmm. because I can't see them. And so if I have the opportunity to be able to run underneath the line where I can clearly see the horizon and I can see that I'm going to make it underneath the power line and stuff, then that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, just because I, I just have a hard time seeing the power lines um, trying to dive into the field with the crop behind the line. And so I just, I don't like not knowing exactly where that power line is. Cause then I feel like there is a chance I could hit it if I can't really see it that well. So this is a total rabbit trail from what we're talking about. So I'm sorry to the listeners, but <laughs> when you're all right, <laughs> this is something I've always loved about agriculture is a, is the aerial spraying. And I'm just, I've got to learn all I can while I got you here. But when you're in the spray plane, do you border off? the field and then you've got some sort of control that turns the booms on and off uh, that spray chemical or is that literally just by uh, watching it by the eye when you need to spray or not yeah so it's uh, it's watching it and there are aircraft that do have auto on auto off booms I don't have that um, it's I know guys that have it and they're the ones that I know are uh, they're spraying really large tracks down in places like Texas where they're literally spraying a thousand acres of pasture, but what surrounds right this pasture is nothing but more pasture. And so they literally don't have any reference as to where the field starts and where it ends. And so they're using auto on and auto off. And then I've used it before. I've fertilized timber in the Carolinas before, and it's kind of a similar situation. It's just a sea of trees, and you don't really you you kind of know where your field is, but you don't you can't see a border. You don't know exactly when to turn on and when to turn off, and so that was an auto on off type deal. But 
out here, it, everything's very well defined. You can see all the edges. And so, yeah, when you get into that field, you're the one turning the spray on. And then right as you come out, you're the one also turning it off. And it's all with a handle that you're pulling up and pushing down. Okay, another rabbit trail. I'm sorry, Wade. So <laughs> how do you find fields? Like, I know there's section numbers here in Texas, but, like, you're you're sitting at, I don't know, a couple hundred to a thousand feet or more uh, up in the sky, and you're trying to find Joe Bob's hundred acres of sugar beets that he wants sprayed. Uh, how do you relay that from Joe Bob to you and figure out where that field is and not someone else's field that looks exactly like it. Yeah, of course. So this is where Callie's job comes in. Uh, and it's very important because she's given me the field to go spray. So this is also where the GPS comes into play as well. She gives me a thumb drive that has the field uh-huh. loaded onto it as well as a paper map. And the map that I'm looking at literally has the field in the very center of it. And then I can see uh, from the edges of the field out, I can see maybe another quarter mile. So I don't see on the map itself. So I don't see a lot of what's around the field, but let's say that there's a house or there's a weird tree row or, or, you know, some kind of indication that makes it noticeable. I can see that on the map that Callie gives me. But then with the thumb drive that she gives me, I literally put that into the GPS on the airplane And I pull up the field that she's given me. And on the light bar, it tells me what direction to fly. And then it also tells me how far away the field is. So if it's 5.9 miles away, as I'm flying to it, that will decrease as I get closer. So 5.8, 5.7, until I'm, say, a half mile from it. At that point, I'm looking out and I'm looking at the map that she's given me as well as I'm looking at that GPS saying, okay, it's a half mile in front of me right now. And Uh I can pick out, let's say there's a house in the corner or across the road or whatever. I can see that on my map and then I can see it from the air. And so that's how I verify that I'm definitely at the correct field as well as, okay, this field is, you know, my map says I'm spraying soybeans. Am I looking down and seeing soybeans right now? Yes. Those are definitely soybeans. So you know, that's matched up. And then I try to find something else, you know, maybe there's a weird, you know, a weird shape to the field, or like I said, maybe a house or a tree row. And then I look at, you know, look outside. Okay. Yeah. There's that tree row that I see on this map. Yep. This is all definitely the same. And then the last thing that really makes it so that you cannot spray the wrong field is that there is a screen for this GPS inside the airplane. And when she gives me that thumb drive to load up onto the GPS, it puts the field onto the screen inside the airplane. And so uh, also on that screen is my airplane flying. And so I can see myself on that screen. So if I fly over that field, I can see myself go into the field, then I'm flying across it, and then I fly out of it. I can see the boundaries of the field. So then I know absolutely for sure that I am in the correct field. So kind of those three things get me there, make sure that I'm doing the right field and stuff. But it all comes down to me mapping the field correctly in the first place. Like (laughs) none of that, none of that works if the field is mapped incorrectly from my end. So that's me communicating with the farmers, Um, and we use townships and sections as well. So it's it's pretty straightforward. But sometimes farmers are 
get a little confused. Uh, they don't sometimes know north from south, and that can mess us up a little bit. But for the most part, it comes down to me making sure that the farmer has communicated clearly with me what the exact field is that they need sprayed. And that that's happened before where I've gotten to a field and looked down at it and said, oh, that doesn't, that looks like corn, not soybeans. And I'll call Callie and say, hey, I'm, I'm at this field right now circling and I'm supposed to be spraying soybeans, but this is definitely not soybeans. Will you call, you know, the farmer and, and tell, ask him what's going on here? This isn't the correct field. And most of the time what it is is that they, oh, I forgot that. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's the next, you know, it's literally the field right next to it or it's maybe just the wrong section and it's just over a couple, you know, a couple areas. And so uh, it happens every once in a while that it's mapped wrong. If a if a new farmer walks into y'all's shop and says, "Hey, can you go spray such and such chemical for me?" Um, if y'all's schedule is wide open, how how long does it take y'all to to get everything lined up and, and put in the computer and the GPS for y'all to take off and and go apply that stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. If they bring the chemical or if we have the chemical here, it can be I don't know fifteen minutes. I'd say. Yeah, about fifteen minutes. That. Uh, gives me time to push the, if the airplane's in the hangar, gives me time to push the airplane out and then Callie to load the chemical into the airplane and off the ground and get it mapped that, yeah, it probably takes about 15 minutes. Now, if I'm already in the airplane and the, you know, if, if the farmer's coming in, there's chances are, if he's not a new farmer, um, he may just come in and say, hey, I, I need this field sprayed. Well, that field is already in our computer. And so Callie can pull it right up and print the map out. And so in situations like that, where it's a regular customer and we already have them in the computer and everything's mapped, um, it can be six minutes for, for her to be completely ready and have the airplane loaded from the guy walking into the door. Okay. All right. So I got to move back. I'm going to get off the rabbit trail and move back to a little bit more social media because I really want to talk about that. Tyson, we know you're in the plane. So someone else is either taking the pictures or you're dropping the camera just right. But uh, Kelly, I'm assuming <laughs> you're the one that that does the uh, social media pictures and such as that, correct? Yeah, that, that would be me. I I need to not be so controlling of it because Tyson really does have a good eye, but I have a hard time letting control go of it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us how you're able to catch shots like you do on, on your, on your page. Um, yeah. So we use GoPros a lot. Those are kind of our go-to and the newer ones. I mean, the stabilization on the newer GoPros is awesome. And that's, I feel like that has helped us a ton with video alone. We also got a 360 camera last year, and so we're pretty new to using that, but we've had some fun with that. And it's, it is pretty cool what you can do with the 360 camera as far as, like, making people feel like they're in the cockpit. Even when I'm editing those videos, I start to feel kind of sick. Like, I feel like I'm there, and um, so those are really neat. And then I take a lot of photos. Up here in Minnesota, he, Tyson will spray pretty close to us sometimes, so... If I have the time, if it's not a super slam day, I'll jump in the truck and drive down the road a couple miles and try and get some photos of him. And um, sometimes he sprays right next to the hangar, which is awesome for photos as well. And that's, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I love taking photos 
in general, that's kind of, you know, on, in our off season, I'll do a lot of it. And yeah, it just kind of transfers over to the season as well. We have really pretty sunsets out here, so that helps too. There's there's definitely an, an artistic eye in those in those social media posts. It's not it's not Joe Blow with a flip phone snapping those things. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. That's how that's how mine would look. You know it if I posted a photo. You say yeah, that must be Tyson. <laughs> I, I when did when did y'all start in the YouTube game? I mean, I, I watched some of y'all's videos earlier. I think the ones where where Tyson's talking to the camera while flying are very intriguing and very interesting. Um, when did when did y'all decide to dabble in YouTube? Uh, we actually um, with our off season, we actually do gear reviews for companies for outdoor gear, and so we've been doing that for five or six years, and. We've done a few, like, vlog fun videos of our adventures and that sort of thing. Um, we did a spray video way back, I'm probably five years ago by now, and that was kind of fun to shoot. But definitely looking back, it's like, wow, we kind of learned a lot in the last five or six years. But it definitely started with us doing gear reviews for companies as a little bit of a side, side hustle in the off-season. And then... So transitioning to Ag Aviation Adventures, that was pretty easy because I knew what I knew how to set it up properly and and get going um, with a foot in the right direction, I guess. But definitely Tyson had the the uh, image in his mind of what he wanted with that, and it worked out really well. You've you've hinted at the off season a couple of times, and I think you're. Your other account, uh, Adventure Rig, is is an, also a great follow, uh, but your your target demographics with your two accounts are completely different. Um, totally, what is yeah. what is it like balancing a an ag account and then a, a I guess an outdoor equipment um, lifestyle type account? Well, it's fun in the fact that we're hoping to get a lot of those people from you know out outdoor hiking motorcycling that sort of thing over to ag so that's fun for us to try and get more of those people interested in ag and just even curious about it um and i think the people on the ag account they find us on adventure rig as well and they're just kind of like oh this is cool this is interesting so getting those ag people to adventure rig is pretty easy getting the adventure rig people to ag is a little bit more challenging but I've always, it's hard because if you guys know, because you manage, you have social media, but it's hard when you are doing really cool things for six, seven months out of the year. And then you go somewhere and you're not really doing anything cool. It's hard to manage that like real life versus what I was doing four months ago. And so I started integrating our summer life into that adventure rig account. And I think most people on there by now know that you know, we play hard for eight months and then work hard for four months. And the ones that stick around and follow us through the work season, I appreciate because we're not always just out having fun 24 seven. Right on. Well, I would, that was, that was 24 seven. Yeah, <laughs> All right. What am I, what are we talking about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no tell. We're, we're no telling. From one, account to, from one account to another account. Sorry. It's, it's, uh, I, think that, I think that having the 
the outdoor lifestyle was kind of something that drove us to do the ag account as well, because the people that are over there, I mean, trying to explain to them what we do, uh, I feel like a lot of these outdoorsy people kind of look down upon what we do almost. And we wanted to try to put it in a different light because, it's a lot of people just having one side to the story, I feel like. And we go to different conventions for the outdoor side of things. And we talk to a lot of people that are really surprised at what we do because it doesn't necessarily align with their values. And so we try, wanted to try to, I guess, have people look at it from a different angle. And hopefully we can explain it a little bit better and give someone other ideas to think about, maybe besides what they have read on Facebook or heard from a friend and really try to enlighten people a little bit more about what we're doing and uh, the facts behind it. So you're using your, your, your valuable social media platform that has, I don't know, 20 K plus followers uh, that from, from what I'm gathering that mostly are some are people that love nature, that love uh, earth that, that God created here. And y'all are trying to show them that, no, we're not just out here putting, you know, I don't know, radioactive chemicals into the ground so we can get better yields. I mean, farmers care about their soil right. more than anything else because that's what makes them profitable and it's what they love. So how much have y'all ever caught any uh, people on the on the ag side of it who who do have their own opinions, although they might be a little bit misconstrued? I think that's a word. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you have people that come on here that say, you don't know what you're doing at all, and, and how do you handle that? I think we do, yes. And there's always – I feel like people on the Internet can be pretty blunt about things and really just say what's on their mind. I think the best thing that we can come back with is just a little bit of information, a little bit of education. If they can just take a snippet of that away, then we're happy with them coming at us with some, some anger. Good deal. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. I've told Wade more than once already uh, in our notes here that there's so many things that I would love to talk about uh, in terms of the spray playing. Uh, I mean, I, I remember sitting on our, our swing set as a kid and watching two of them go by in the same day. And I just, I, I wanted to do that so badly, but uh, I've got to move on. I've got a quick rest of going down rabbit trails and we're going to stick to the, <laughs> the schedule here. <laughs> uh, we're going to move on now. Y'all, y'all didn't grow up in an agricultural background. So I think this question here is, is important to learn from, from both of y'all, but if you could go back to, to your 15 year old self uh, doing what you do now, uh, what would you say? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'd have to tell myself that uh, that I'm not I'm not going to have to work year round. I'm not going to be stuck behind a desk. <laughs> I think that was something. At, at 15, all I wanted to do was have fun, and at 35, all I still want to do is have fun. And so, um, you know, I think I'd, I'd tell him it's going to be okay, man. You're going to make it through. Uh, for a little while, uh, you know, in the end, no one gets out alive. But I just want to have fun while I'm here. What about you, Kelly? Oh, man, that is a really hard question for me because I feel like all I was thinking about back then were boys, maybe. 
uh, probably wasn't <laughs> thinking about my future too much, especially as a career choice. But um, I think I think the main thing that I would tell myself is just don't worry, you're in for a ride, and it's going to be awesome. I don't know. I have such a hard time with that question, but. I, I often get places, and Tyson, I think, can agree with this. We're like, man, how did we get here? How are we doing this? How do we, you know, how are we having this much fun? And it just all happened, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we do. We feel very lucky for having this opportunity to be able to spray in the summers and work and then take the winters and travel and do what we would like to do with our time. And so every day we just uh, think about how lucky we are to be able to do that. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Wade, I could keep going for hours, so you either better shut me up or uh, move on to the next segment. <laughs> we will. We will. It's, it's, Dan, I, it's time to move on. You know that. <laughs> we're going gonna to move on to the rapid fire portion of the show where we're going to ask you all, um, a couple questions. Dan, Dan and I each have two of them. Um, we we like for both of y'all to answer them. Um, the first question I've got for you: You, you mentioned y'all. You talked about yourselves. You talked about the plane. Uh, but there's there's another individual on your on both of your accounts. That being Hank. Um, does Hank <laughs> oh does Hank yeah. prefer spray season or the off season more? Oh man, we were just talking yeah. about this today. That's a tough one. Yeah, it depends on it depends on where we are in the off season. So he's. He, he gets cold very easily, and so we, we enjoy skiing. We take ski trips in the wintertime, and honestly, I don't think he he's, a big fan. he's not a big fan of those. Um, so if we're somewhere warm in the off-season, we, we went to Baja this last off-season for six weeks, and then we were also in Arizona for four weeks. He loves that. But he also really loves the vibe out here in Minnesota because he has a dog door, and he just goes outside and lays on the concrete and in the sun and then comes in when he gets hot and he just looks forward to the UPS guy coming by with treats. <laughs> and it's kind of a simple life for him out here. I think he, he really likes it. If you, right if, you if you haven't looked at their account, Hank is their dog. Um, he lives a, lives a pretty rough life from what I can tell. <laughs> we might want to clarify that. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. My turn. You're both marooned on an island. You can only have three items. Both of you can only have three items. What are those three items? Oh. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm going to have Hank, and I'd love to have a tent and some water. Good choice. I'm going to have – what, what about you, Kelly? Yeah, I think I'm going to have an endless supply of zebra cakes. Wait, endless? Well, you, this is one you can't have. <laughs> Hold on. That seems like it's against the rules to have an endless supply of something. I like think it's against the rules. You can only have, you can't do endless. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess I'll have zebra cakes, water, and a hat. Ooh, a hat's good. Maybe, oh, go. man, I kind of want sunscreen, too. Can we have four items? Because I'd like sunscreen. Sure, why not? Four if, items. If she can have endless super cakes, <laughs> you can have four items. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> Compromise. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm going to switch gears from the question I had in the notes here, but we know Callie's on Team Zebra Cake. Uh, Tyson, what is your favorite little Debbie? Ooh. 
little depth. You know, Callie's kind of got me on the zebra cake kick. I, I'm not – I'm so those aren't my favorite. I love Reese's peanut butter cups. I'm a big fan of those. But if Callie has some zebra cakes around, I'll dabble. I'm not afraid of those either. As, as long as you didn't say strawberry shortcakes, that's the only wrong answer to that question. Yeah, I'm not, that, I wouldn't go for that. I'm oh. not a big fan. Oh, hey, now. Zebra cakes, then strawberry shortcakes. are pretty good. I'm going <laughs> to ruin this whole podcast, but I, I like those. So, <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, wait, I think it's still your turn, isn't it? Or is it my turn? No, go ahead. I changed my questions up. Go okay. Ahead. This is. This is just a random question that I came up with because apparently it's a uh, it's a thing now to ask. But uh, Apple or Android? Mm, Apple. Apple. Okay, y'all are my kind of people. Good deal. Not biased, <laughs> but I do like Apple better. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not very well versed in it though. Callie kind of switched me over, but uh, she has to do everything for me whenever I have a question about how to do something. So. Yeah. Hey, whatever works. <laughs> Callie, Tyson, we uh, we appreciate y'all coming on the show with us tonight. It's been a fun episode. We've had some laughs. Uh, before we close this thing out, why don't y'all plug your social media accounts and let the folks out there know where they can find y'all. Yeah, so for our off-season, like we were talking about, that's Adventure Rigs. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And if you'd like to learn more about spraying and a little bit of agriculture and how we work together as a team you can find us on instagram at ag aviation adventures as well as facebook and youtube awesome folks go give those things a follow it is a it's great content uh, very interesting and 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 it's just a, it's just a good follow and those those links will be down in the show notes below dan close it out for us like like Wade said, uh, I want to thank you both for coming on our show. There, I mean, I've got them literally in my mind of tens and thousands of more questions, but we've got a schedule, <laughs> and and I'm trying to I'm trying to go on that and not have a uh, six hour pod, podcast episode here. Uh, I would just like to ask <laughs> our our guests what their final thoughts about our on something. And as of right now, it seems like agriculture is taking a big boost on social media. Uh, maybe that's from quarantine. Maybe that's from uh, people such as y'all that that plug in that agriculture is is pretty different than what the normal person's uh, what a normal person might think of it being. Uh, if you could right. say something to to someone that doesn't know what agriculture is or doesn't really have that general idea, uh, what would you want to tell them? You know, I I think for me. It would be to form your own opinion and do a little research because from what I've seen, it's, it's a lot of, well, my friend said this, or I saw this come across my newsfeed on Facebook, or I read this article. And so now I'm completely against chemicals. I'm completely against. Fill in uh, the you, blank. Yeah. Whatever it may be that uh, is in that blank. And so I think for me, that would be it is just to try to form your own opinion. It's fine if you read those things or if you hear those things from your friends, but I would like it if they went and researched it a little bit more and dug into it. And after 
doing that research, then forming their opinion. And if they're still against it, that's fine. But at least they're a little bit more informed about both sides of the story, hopefully. And I think to add to that, find someone who's in the industry and pick their brain about it because the people that are in the industry, farmers, someone like us, um, anyone, they're the ones that are going to have, you know, a firsthand look at it. And so I think talking to people that are in the industry as a resource and using that to form your opinion, I think you can't go wrong there. I, I 100% agree. It seems like the people that have the worst opinions about agriculture are the loudest, but yet don't perhaps see it that see it the right way in terms of what actually is going on. Yes. It's just like anybody, anything else. I mean, there's going to be bad apple and a barrel of apples, but Overall, I mean, you're looking at someone who uh, perhaps has even been there for generations on, on one piece of land, and that yeah. is literally the world to them. And so it's very important right. to, to formulate your own opinion rather than getting it off of Instagram or Facebook or whatever else you want to think of. And so I yeah, 100% agree with you. The fact that – and we're – we're no different. We're just two random people on the internet. But the fact that you can go on the internet and find any, any story from anyone, that's just kind of scary because a lot of the stories don't hold true facts. So um, like I said, we're just two random people on the internet as well, but we're just giving you our points from working in the industry. I love it. Uh, wow. Again, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show. Uh, I just, I'm blown away by what you get to do. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly jealous. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's just something that the agricultural industry has and we're very, very thankful for because uh, most times when we use a spray paint pilot, it's because when we're in a, in a big bind and he's able to help, help us out. So I really do appreciate what you do and uh, keep up the good work. Well, we appreciate you guys inviting us onto the show. We were excited to come on, and we appreciate you taking the time to have us as guests. Yeah, thank you very much. Tyson, Callie, thanks for coming on one more time. Y'all stay safe this season. Dan, we'll visit with you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Advocates. Be sure and check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages to see who we'll feature next. On behalf of Dan... I'm Wade. We'll see you next time.